This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. I'm now joined by Todd Bensman. He's a fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's been doing a lot of great work about the crisis on America's southern border right now. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks. So you've been doing a lot of great work on the border, and there's a, there is a crisis in your country, even though your current president and the administration doesn't want to admit it, and they're going to a great lens to say, no, everything's fine, don't worry about it. I wanted to take talk to you because you've been doing a lot of great work down there and you've been actually on the border. I wanted to take talk to you through stuff because one of the frustrating things for me is when I hear my friends on the left and I talk about this issue a lot privately with people, it's, but it's humane. They're only coming for a better life. And, that you know, it's, it's only humane to let them in. I actually think that it's absolutely critical that they understand the process. So let's imagine I was picking a you know, country from Mexico or Central America. And just talk me through the steps. If I just said tomorrow, I'm coming to America legally. What steps do I have to do if I'm a single person going to America? Like, what's the first steps of how do I do it? What do I do? Sure. Um, well, there's an easy way and there's a hard way. Uh, the easy way, of course, is paved with money. If you've got some money, uh, you might want to hire a professional smuggler or guia uh, called guides. Uh, if you're, um, let's just say that you're starting from South America or uh, Central America. Either way, you need to kind of have a guide. It's different for uh, depending on where you start. But assuming that you, uh, you know, you're um, African from Cameroon and you've flown into Ecuador, uh, mm -hmm. you now have a very long way to go. Uh, so you can sort of um, hire a, a, a person who knows the region. They're going to be a criminal organization. Uh, you might have to pay for them to take you in stages past each difficulty. And the first difficulty from South America would be to get from Colombia into Panama through the Isthmus. And there is a very uh, rugged and desolate and dangerous jungle called the Darien Gap that all immigrants coming through uh, from South America must cross. Not all, but most. Uh, and why is it dangerous? It's dangerous because it's ungoverned and uh, controlled mostly by armed narcotics tra traffickers and uh, people who are moving uh, weapons through that jungle and uh, there is no government, uh, there are no government forces in that region. It's about a 10 day uh, trip, sometimes longer through that. Uh, lots of people die during that trip, uh, especially those who are um, sort of undefended because there are uh, people who uh, are, are armed, who, who prey on uh, the women and girls and rob everybody and that sort of thing. But ultimately, you know, most people get through to Panama. The Panamanian government then takes over and they uh, have uh, sort of um, undermined the uh, human trafficking business there by offering free buses, not free, but, uh, but, you know, very low cost buses and shelter and food and humanitarian uh, medical assistance and that sort of thing. And they'll put them on buses and take them to the border to Costa Rica, which does the same thing. It's called um, um, controlled flow is the name of the, the program. Uh, the, the Costa Ricans will take care of them as well and drive them to the Nicaraguan border, which does not Nicaragua does not participate so then they have to find either their old smugglers or a brand new smuggler uh, to take them through Central America to Mexico. So, so that'll happen. Uh, they'll get to Mexico, across uh, the uh, southern frontier, and then they've got another problem, which is the Mexican National Guard, which deployed during the Trump administration. Uh, they are blocking all the roads. So sometimes the easiest way is to take a smuggler, who can go knows how to get around those roadblocks and interrupt me anytime here. I I'm, yep. I'm just giving you one, Absolutely. Of the, one of the typical routes. 
uh, they'll, uh, some of them can also go on their own by taking these trains, freight trains, uh, jumping on top of them and, and riding those past the National Guard troops at the roadblocks. In any case, they're all getting past the roadblocks, no problem, <laughs> somehow. And um, then they'll lastly need to hire a new smuggler to get over the Rio Grande or the Arizona border. Uh, those are called coyotes. We know them as coyotes. And uh, the whole trip can cost, you know, from Latin America, South America, it could, you know, cost $20,000, $10,000. Uh, but often uh, you'll pay $10,000 or $12,000 just to get through Mexico uh, and right. over the border right now, too. So, so, so how many, does someone, let's go back to any of those steps where you're, you're familiar with, how, let's say, again, just let's use me as an example. I, I want to come to America. I'm, I want to come illegally. I want to cross the border. How do, how does, how do I find a smuggler? Like, do you go on Google.com and, like, you know, is there smugglers are us or, you know, what is it just known these people do it? Or it's, it's, do it? it's really easy. Uh, I'll give you an example. I went to Panama and Costa Rica a couple of years ago. And just for kicks, I went to the border, the Panama-Costa Rica border, and I, I crossed over it over a chain link fence or a, a chain and just stepped over the chain. And there were all these guys around, you know, and you just I just went up to the guys and I was like, hey, I've got a Guatemalan buddy who's trying to get to the United States and he's down here with me. What would it cost to, and before long, I had it all arranged $1,000 to get from there to Nicaragua. They were offering me identification. They were offering, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, money. It costs money for the police bribes. It's very easy to just, all you have to do is just stand around in a certain area and they'll come to you and say, hey, you know, I see you're a foreigner. Uh, you know, how would you like to get to the United States? I can get to the, to the United States. That goes on all over the world. You can find guys like that in Syria, in Iraq, in, or really everywhere and anywhere. You ask and is around. America the only destination they offer or is this like a big smuggling that, hey, where do you need to go? We'll get you there. It depends on what you're willing to pay. Almost everybody wants to get to the United States. Nobody's in for the great Mexican dream. Yeah. Uh, they're in for the great American dream. And so uh, if you, if you uh, pay... If you only have so much money, you might can only get as far as Brazil. Okay. But, you know, that's a big hump. The Atlantic is the biggest hump. And then you can kind of just talk to people on social media and ask people in the chat groups and find all the chat groups where they're all trading information about travel. And you can catch buses on your own to certain towns. They'll tell you, go to this town. And then at the bus station, take a bus to this other town. And then... You know, and so they're not using smugglers; they're just using word of mouth. The grapevine, uh, they heard it through the grapevine, and there's a lot of that going on for cheaper, self-propelled uh, journeys. Yeah, because that was my next question. Because obviously, you know, like for for someone even like me to come up, if you said, right, you know, I get you to America, John, it costs twenty grand. That's a lot of money. You know, even in in modern day terms. You know, a lot of these people, you know, especially, you know, if you listen to the rhetoric from, from your country is they're there to pick lettuce, they're acting out of love, they're, you know, they're just low income people, you know, getting 20000 or even $10,000 if it's just from Mexico. I'm guessing there's also another, there's, there's like a payment plan, you could pay $10,000 or you can do, you know, fill in the bank. What yeah, happens there, then? There, there is some of that going on. But I mean, really, if you think about it, uh, this is an investment and people family and friends back home who know that somebody is going to go to the United States are willing to front them some cash and pitch in because they understand that as soon as they get into the United States, they'll start working for wages, uh, either cash or some other kind of job or whatever, and they send that money home. And they'll send money home for years and years and years. So the people that the families that raise the money, they sell a plot of land, they you know sell a house, they you know borrow it from the neighborhood loan shark or whatever. There's a pretty good chance that they're going to get paid back in in with a lot of interest. Uh, and then even um, once they are legalized in the United States to bring their family, their immediate family, then once they're anchored in the United States, so. 
you know, $20,000 compared to a lifetime of earning is really nothing. Uh, so there, there's, I've talked to a lot of immigrants. I spend a lot of time on the ground, in route, on the routes with immigrants. And I always ask them that question, where did you get the money? You're from Bangladesh, one of the most, one of the poorest, you know, poverty stricken nations in the world. How did you get $35,000? You know, yeah. it's always like, you know, the word went out and everybody we borrowed, we, somebody sold a piece of land, they, whatever, and got me the money. And I paid the smuggler with the money. And when I get into the United States, I'm going to pay them all back. And these smugglers, are they just like smugglers or are they part of a bigger, you know, crime ring that, you know, be involved in, you know, protections, drugs, different things? I know, obviously, we know that the coyotes in Mexico and sort of MS-13 and different things. But, you know, in other countries, like you were saying, like Guatemala places, is there, is there, are they, is there just kind of smuggling their thing or do they do more? It runs the gamut, but there are professional intercontinental human smugglers that, for example, in my book, America's Covert Border War, I dedicate a whole chapter to these smuggling kingpins and they're, that are able to move people from places like Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan all the way to, the, to California and Texas, right? Quite a feat to go that, to bring people that far. Well, those people are very professionalized. Uh, and they have, um, they're cosmopolitan, they are well-educated, they typically uh, know two or three languages, and they use those languages in the different countries that they're moving people through, and they charge, you know, they might charge $50,000 or $80,000 for an Afghan, to move an Afghan through, or for uh, a Syrian, or, so they make really good money, and they have residences, and uh, passports in multiple countries, uh, citizenship in Cameroon, Belize, and Mexico, or, uh, you know, it's, they have multiple, they can, they're very, um, mobile. And right. so they can charge a lot of money and that's their business. And then there are others who just move them short distances over a, over a problem area. Like I talked about the Darien Gap, the Darien jungle, you know, there are people that just do that. They get them right. through the Darien and then they go back for another load. And uh, there are some that are that specialize in just Mexico, you know, getting them from South Mexico to North Mexico. And sometimes there's two or three of them in that one, that one network. Some of them are independent. Some of them are part of larger organizations. It's, it just really runs the gamut. Most of your uh, Mexican coyotes uh, those work for the uh, large-scale Mexican drug cartel organizations, typically. Um, right. So, so do you you always hear these different stories, and it's it's always you know I'd love to hear how rampant you think this is. Is where you know you'll you'll see families go across, and one of the things to cross the Mexican border is they'll have to like carry some drugs and different things. Is that like commonplace, or is that like more the exception um, compared to the rule? That's more of an exception. That does happen, though, uh, where uh, migrants who just flat run out of money uh, can't get themselves over. And uh, the cartels have realized that this is a great opportunity, and it is, to uh, you know say, listen, you will forego the smuggling fee or reduce it uh, significantly if you just take this big bale of marijuana on your back. <laughs> yeah. There is some of that. I, I wouldn't say it's wide spread i've never actually seen it uh okay. one of those but that doesn't mean that it's not happening we know it happens they get caught yeah, just, you hear these stories and it's always hard to distinguish because it's saying you know you read these and it's very sensationalized and you're kind of going wow this is, is this happening all the time or it's very hard to find out because you'll find that this story with this one individual who you know had x amount of you know marijuana or pot or whatever different drug on them you're like is it rampant or different things i was curious to see so that's for a person like you know typical you know it's maybe a single guy like me but one of the things that i don't think people understand is and i'd love to because you've actually been on the border to give a real definition and paint a picture of this is you know obviously there's the danger from the coyotes and who you're putting your effectively you know you're giving them money saying hey i need you to get me from point a to point b and these are not necessarily you know upstanding citizens but the other part of it is the, the terrain. Like, you know, it's pretty rough out there. It's And especially if you go at certain times of year, it gets really hot. 
and it's not a fun experience. Can you talk, you know, paint that picture for people who might have never, you know, you've seen the pictures of the border, but you've actually never been. What would you, and as somebody who's been there, what would you say? Well, it helps to understand that that every section of the border is geographically unique. So there, it's, it's not, it's, it's, you can't really say that, that uh, a condition applies to all parts of the border. There are some that are really easy to cross and there are some that are really hard to cross. And of course I've been to all of them and I'll just give you an idea. Um, so I just came from the Rio Grande sector uh, last week. I was there. I have an article up today, just published an hour, a couple hours ago on the cis.org website. Uh, that is what I would call an easy place to cross because the boatmen, the raftsmen just put, they load up these rafts and they swim their uh, passengers over and the passengers get off and right there are roads and highways and they don't have to travel anywhere. There's usually somebody that will pick them up uh, some of them are turning themselves into the border patrol because they know they're going to get entrance uh, and, and a legal paper. So they're looking for border patrol agents that'll pick them up. Uh, and that's happening by the tens of thousands. Uh, so there's that. That's easy. That's why the women and children and, and uh, grandparents are coming through that those areas right now. But for those who don't who don't want to get caught by the border patrol for various reasons, they'll, they can go to a place, another part of the border that I just visited uh, maybe three weeks ago uh, called the big bend sector, which is a vast wilderness desert of very harsh Canyon lands and cactus and no water and snakes and everything, you know, and, uh, the goal there is to get to an interstate highway, highway interstate 10, that can be anywhere from, you know, 30 to 80 miles away, depending on where you're entering at the border. Uh, those will require anywhere from four to 12 days of backpacking through wilderness, harsh wilderness conditions. Uh, and that is uh, spiking right now for, for young adults who are not being let in elsewhere. And they have to hire a smuggler who knows how to get to Interstate 10. And then once they get to Interstate 10, it has to be prearranged that somebody will pick them up on the highway and take them in. So those are very rugged, uh, long, uh, expensive, uh, $11,000 and $12,000 a person, uh, wow. right to the cartels. Um, I was just there and I interviewed uh, nine immigrants who made the journey and they explained how they, uh, how the whole thing worked and they paid their money and, you know, they were directed to this town in North uh, Mexico and how the whole thing worked. And um, in that case, they got caught because their smuggler abandoned them on the fourth day and they didn't know where they were going and they ran out of water and they ended up at a ranch house asking for water and the, the, head of the household called border patrol. So they got caught and returned back to Mexico, which means that they lost their $11,000 investment. Not easy to, to do it again. But I'm sure there's a refund process, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. sure if you write in a letter, Mr. Mr. Cartel guy, you know, your guy abandoned me on day four. I want my money back. <laughs> yeah, the refund is a, a gun barrel to the head. Yeah. Uh, really, so... So that's taking it for a guy, you know, talk to me about, you know, so if you're, you know, a mother or, you know, a young person that, cause that's, you know, obviously it's not just all, you know, single guys coming across the border. That type of journey is very arduous and very, you know, testing for like, you know, you know, you know, a young person, especially a kid, how like 10 days or 11 days in the desert isn't fun for anyone, but you know, for kids, why are we, why is this happening? Or, you know, what's the, what's the incentive there? So the, the, the incentive for the kids and the families is that the Biden administration uh, is uh, allowing unlimited numbers of families in. So there's no limitation of any sort on families. So uh, families all over the world have heard about this and they've seen it. So they're all heading here to take advantage of that. 
Uh, also, they are letting in unlimited numbers of single uh, minors. So if you're a minor, if you, if you claim that you're, you don't have to prove it, but if you're 17 or under and you show up at the, at the border, the Biden administration has decided that they'll take you in and legalize you. So, so that's why you have children and their parents are sending their kids if they can't come. Or if the parents are already in the United States, they're telling relatives, send the kids now uh, because they, there are, uh, there's a no obstruction or limitation at all on, on kids coming over the border, which incentivizes the families to send them on these long, dangerous trips. Uh, a lot of times they're, they're coming with maybe a friend or a, an acquaintance or a relative of some sort, or sometimes uh, maybe they're just, you know, if they're 15 years old, they're like, I'm going to make it on my own with a smuggler. You know, I can take care of myself, 15, 16, 17. Uh, and then once they're over the border, they're in forever. They're never going home. It's a sure thing. So, yeah. And it's that, so frustrating. It's, it's, this issue is so frustrating for me at any time. But in COVID, you know, like your country's been like, I can't come to your country right now. I'm supposed to be going on vacation at the end of the August. You can if you cross the border with your wife and kid. I don't have a wife and kids. So that's a problem. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just get one that looks like your wife and kid and you're in. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. <laughs> it is. But it actually is. <laughs> it's not for me. Trust me. Oh, if you pay her, if you pay her, her uh, smuggling fee and her kid, they'll be your <laughs> wife and kid that for that. <laughs> I love you long time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, but like, it's like you, even if you're like a Mexican citizen, just wanting to cross the border, you know, legally just to come for a vacation. No, if you're Canadian, want to come in? No, Ireland, Europe, Brazil, any place, you know, even in Ireland where COVID is really, the numbers are so reduced now, even though the government hasn't, you know, that's a different issue. Our government is still like throttling all our rights. We can't do very much. Um, but like, I can't, you can't fly in legally, just go on a vacation. But if you want to say, hey, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm a kid, let me in. Absolutely. Come on in. And that's the, the, mis the misunderstanding or the, how COVID has just been dropped by the Biden administration. Surely logic would have said if you believe COVID and all the rhetoric from the Biden administration is, no, you can, no one's coming in now, COVID, we need to get our numbers down. But the minute COVID started, uh, let's just open the floodgates. But yeah. we just don't do that. On top of that, you've got uh, the state of New York now promising $15,000 to every single immigrant who can get to their state. So uh, they'll be they'll they're, they're doubly uh, incentivized to go to New York, uh, and I think California is uh, has uh, some legislation pending like that too. Let's give them money and benefits. Crazy, because you know twenty eight trillion dollars, you know, in debt, you know, you, you can keep affording it. <laughs> so we're we're going to take it in a different direction when we come back. just on an individual level now let's talk maybe on a, on a grander scale because obviously there is a lot of you know concern about having a southern border open america's paid the price for this and you know in the past what is the first off you know on these towns that are border towns that are on the american side these are like small little towns you've got ranches and stuff they're not like big metropolitan cities like dallas no one ever seems to want to pay any attention to the impact that these towns feel when they're being, you know, with lots of, you know, 500,000, 2,000 illegal immigrants coming in. You know, the impacts it has on the supply chain, the impacts it has on services, the impacts it has on the farms. Can you share some stories about what you've seen about on these poor families and poor towns that, you know, only maybe have a couple of thousand people and get, you know, swamped with illegal aliens? What happens to them? Yeah, uh, well, there are there's a lot of impacts uh, on the in the immediate vicinity of the border. Uh, for one thing, uh, for remember, families and uh, children are freebies, so they're they're not going to be a problem. They're turning themselves in immediately. They're very docile. The border patrol processes them onto buses, and then within a few days, they're on a bus to the interior, uh, whatever city they want to go to. 
And in some cases, they're being flown to these cities. Uh, but so the, the ones that, that are uh, singles, though, they have to, they're called runners. We call them runners. And because the Border Patrol is so occupied with the families, they are off the line. They're coming off the line. And so there are vast numbers of runners now able to get through with minimal defense or opposition or impediment. So there are many, many single groups of single males who are rampaging through uh, sort of rural, more rural areas where uh, the border patrol have been pulled. And what's left out there, uh, you know, and, and often they're not very well prepared. So, you know, it takes a lot of water per person, water's heavy. Uh, they figure they'll find water along the way. So they'll find a rancher's um, pipes, troughs, whatever, and cut the pipes and empty the troughs of water. The cattle die. They'll, I, I've talked to a lot of ranchers who have had their homes broken into, uh, showers used, food taken, you know, liquor cabinets ransacked, um, you know, stuff stolen out of the barn, out of the, you know, one lady told me about uh, how they broke into a, a guest house on the property and um, took showers and used all the stuff and then left the water running and it, they didn't discover it for three weeks and the place was flooded and uh, had mildew permanently ruined the house, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, so you have a lot of break-ins and a lot of, um, forced, you know, uh, demand, uh, demands for food and kind of robbery. You could call it a kind of robbery. It's intimidating groups of uh, single men looking for resources. And then you have, remember these people, the, the runners are trying to get to highways where they can be picked up and they have to either hike to these highways long, long distances, or the smuggling groups can uh, have others pick them up, associates pick them up at mile marker 28 or whatever, pre-designated by cell phone or at mile marker 28, pick us up in an hour. And then what happens is they pick up those migrants and they drive into town. They're viewed as suspicious by a police officer. The police officer tries to pull them over and there's a chase. Uh, they flee. And so there are just chase, high-speed chase after high-speed, hundreds and hundreds of high-speed chases going on throughout Texas in the interior, uh, all over the, um, the um, border states. Uh, and they're dangerous chases where uh, they're being, uh, you know, there's, some of them are, are turning over and all the migrants are being slaughtered you know, 13 migrants killed in a, in a crash uh, after a chase and seven migrants killed in a crash and uh, that sort of thing. And then the other issue yeah, is that- a, You shared a video with me earlier on and we're, we're, I shared, I'll share it on social media where it, it's Texas Border Patrol have up their patrols and they, they show them chasing someone and you see someone in a ditch because they go to this one of these sideways pre, you know, predestined, if you get chased, go down this way. And like they fling a, a like a big part of a branch of tree. Obviously they swerve and avoid that. And then ahead of them, then there's a gate and they close the gate and they've got to get in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, you don't see it. So it's, it's a video. very, yeah, absolutely. It's a very coordinated, um, coordinated, you know, type of system. And I don't think people realize this. And I think it's 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 absolutely key that we you know share these type of messages with people. Um, but also want to see you shared a just to show you how far spread this is. You shared an article a couple months ago, and um, that it, this is not just on the Mexican border and you know in different Central America. You shared an article um, about uh, Abid Khan. This is a, a Pakistani-based human smuggling um, company. This shows you how far-ranging this is. Do you want to share what you found out with this group where it was like $20,000 each to get into America? Well, if it's the one I, you're talking about, I believe, uh, I mean, the, the, the federal investigative uh, Homeland Security Investigations, ICE, uh, they, they specialize in investigating these, you know, far flung human smuggling organizations that are 
capable of moving Pakistanis from Pakistan all the way to the southern border. And we get a lot of Pakistanis at the southern border. Uh, but because those Pakistan is a place that's known to harbor terrorists uh, that, that, that want to kill Americans, uh, we pay special attention to smugglers who are able to do that, who have those skills. Uh, and uh, Asher Khan, I believe is the guy, was just one of those who uh, was taken down, had um, you know, one of these very complex international smuggling organizations where he was bringing Pakistanis into Brazil and then smuggling them, having them uh, smuggled through the Darien Gap and Central America and all the way to the border. And uh, Khan, and actually it's not just Khan, they've actually, they've, they've uh, HSI has an, uh, investigated and busted up quite a few Pakistani smugglers of Pakistani immigrants uh, recently. And uh, that particular organization had moved terror watch listed people who were on the FBI's terror watch list over the southern border. Uh, yes, in April, there was two Yemenis um, who were on the terror watch list who got across. That's right. Uh, we, we frequently, as I write about in, uh, my whole book is about this, um, America's Covert Border War, uh, just chapter and verse of cases where people who were known to be terrorists or suspected terrorists had crossed the U.S. border or, get, or got caught on the way in uh, by Mexico or Panama or Costa Rica. It happens far more than the American public realizes, and uh, there's a lot of official denialism that this happens, but I'm sorry it does. And the, uh, what the instances that you're talking about in April, one was actually in January and the other one was in March. There were two separate cases of Yemeni uh, guys who were already on the FBI's terror watch list, crossed in at Calexico, California from Mexico and got caught by border patrol. They were runners and one of the two was actually on the no-fly list, which is a much higher level of danger uh, assessed in order to get on the no-fly list. And that guy had a, a SIM card hidden in the insole of his shoe. Uh, so these are bad guys. There's no question that, uh, that there is a national security threat and component to these open borders uh, that are being uh, taken advantage of, especially now with the families just being allowed in like this and taking up all the resources and sucking up all the defensive oxygen in the room, so to speak. So um, I am very concerned uh, about that kind of immigration. We saw this happen in Europe in 2015 where there was a mass migration. It collapsed all the normal border systems and ISIS sent in organized bands of terrorist operatives who conducted the Paris attacks in November 2015, came in right over the borders, snuck in like refugees, and then the Brussels attacks, and then uh, nothing but attacks in all of the years since. Absolutely. And there's a big conflict going on right now between Spain and Morocco. Um, over, we don't, I don't need to talk about that now, but you know, it's still ongoing. And where, you know, Spain and Morocco are very unhappy with each other because of, you know, influx of immigrants and stuff. And Spain is, you know, it's getting better hostile with some other rhetoric coming out of Spain. They're like, you better stop this. So it's it's still an ongoing issue, even though it, it kind of, you know, doesn't get much media coverage. So I want to just, we've only got a few more minutes left and to talk. And I just kind of wanted to focus in on some of the solutions. Because for me... It's, you know, I, I, I get very biased because, you know, as someone who's wanted to get into your country legally for 17 years, and uh, it's so hard and it's, you know, the truth about it is it's highly unlikely I'll ever get the honor of calling myself an American. And as someone who loves your country and does, you know, does a lot of work in your country um, for free, it, it gets very frustrating. So I kind of have to, you know, I get very emotional and get very angry about this where, you know, I, and I sometimes do where I'm like, what about people like me? You know, we're do I'm doing things the right way. And if I do things the right way, if I ever get lucky, it's going to cost me a lot of money to, you know, lawyers and through the process. And here all these people just come on in, come on in. And you have people from both sides of the aisle, you know, they act out of love, they didn't commit felonies. And I'm like, but what's the solution? So if you had a, what would your solution be to, to first of all, fix the, the border crisis? 
the, I mean, you could argue that the, the, one of the greatest impacts of allowing illegal immigration on this industrialized scale is that it pretty much renders useless the legal system of immigration. What's the point? Uh, you know, people who wait in line, who abide by the rules and get no rewards uh, for their effort. The, and they're sticklers. What? They're sticklers, your immigrationer. Like they mm -hmm. are like, I had a story and, um, you know, I want to get to you, I want to give you the solutions, but just so you have stick, I don't know if you know this, but a friend of mine is in America and she married an English guy. So she went over and lived with him because she can work from, you know, remotely. She's in events and different stuff. So she went over and lived with him for six months while they're going through the process. Their address was like, I always get their address wrong, but let's say it was like 631, uh, you know, Main Street. And on the application form, they went through all the interviews. They're literally about to go, yes. And the guy went, what's your address again? 613 Main Street. Oh, your application 631, right to the start. So all the lawyers' fees, all the paperwork, all that, they couldn't just sort of get tipex and kind of go, oh, sorry, that's my bad. Clearly everything else is right. Nope, right back to the start. And it cost them a fortune and more time, which she was like, she had to go, she had to go back to America. And then, you know, so the last few months, what he was going through all the process. Now, I know a lot of people go, oh, that's poo-hoo, they made a mistake, you know, shouldn't have made a mistake. But when you have this side of anyone can come in and you have all these fees and over that little mistake, it's just, it's so wrong. Well, yeah, that's a whole, that's a rabbit hole. We could talk about all that. I, I, I talked, I, I wonder, is, is that a blonde woman? You can cut this out. No, but, no. Because okay, I, I had a long conversation with a Canadian woman who's living in the UK right now, who has just tried 10 different times from the time she was 20 years old to 40, trying to yeah. become an American citizen, graduate of Harvard, graduate of Yale, uh, high-powered, uh, you know, uh, career, uh, you know, clearly a good, outstanding citizen with a bank account and assets and everything else. Everything yeah. failed. All of it failed. And she's she gets very upset talking about it, doesn't understand, and, is, yeah. and looks at what's happening at our border with horror and, and just pain and hurt that that's happening. Uh, so I get yeah. what you're I get, I get, totally get what you're saying. Um, solution, if, if what, what we know works, if, if you have a steady state gravitational pull, which America is, and we just all assume there's a steady state gravitational pull and a of, of like, you know, America's great because you can get 24 hour all you can eat Chinese food. Uh, and once you get a taste of that, man, you ain't going back. Mm -hmm. um, but um, there's also a steady state push in, because these countries are terrible. Haiti, sure. uh, you know, Cuba, they're, they're terrible. Of course, nobody wants to live in those countries. But a country that wants to regulate and, de and decide who gets to come in which, you know, you can't just let the entire world's pour in all at once. I mean, it, it has effects. Nobody expects that ever in the history of countries. Uh, so there, what, what, what has proven to work is consequence-based deterrence. If you break our laws, you go to jail. If you uh, break our laws, you uh, get pushed back to the nearest country and deported and all your smuggling money lost. Uh, when, when those kind of consequences as cruel as they sound, when you look into the eye of the children and all the rest of that, I, I get it, but it's just one of those things that is a nasty reality of life that you have to deny entry and have consequences for the denial for, for the attempt. Uh, and so when you, put those in place like Trump did, you have less Im illegal immigration. It's just a fact of life. People don't want to lose their smuggling money. They don't want to even have a high chance of losing their smuggling money. A lot of this comes down to that, honestly. I mean, you know, you, you, you raise $11,000 and then you get caught and you don't get it back. And how yeah. are you going to get another $11,000? It's you're going home. So, yeah. um, 
So a lot of times the calculus is that. Sometimes it's that if you try a second time, you're going to jail, an American jail for three years and banned for life from ever coming in again legally. If you try again, then it's 10 years. Right. Uh, those kind of consequences work. Okay. If, if you give, uh, if it's continuously push, pull, those things never change. Those are just steady state. So it's whether you're going to have consequences or no consequences. If the levers pushed forward, middle, back, that is how you regulate. It's just like a gas pedal and a brake pedal. It's just like that. And under Trump, we had the uh, brake pedal on, and it was slowing almost to a crawl there for a good uh, length of time. And under and there were consequences. If you got caught, you were prosecuted. If you got caught, you were sent all the way back in an ice airplane to the tarmac in Mogadishu, Somalia, right? right? Where, where it's going to cost you another $30,000 to try again. Uh, those are consequences that work. So you have to put in consequences like that in order to regulate the, the numbers down. Uh, this administration came in and did away with virtually all consequences. Uh, there, there are no consequences whatsoever, not even deportation. So if you sneak into the border and you're across the border and, you know, 10 times, and you finally make it on the 10th time and you get into New York and you're there for five years and they catch you, you're not getting deported. They won't deport you. So you're free. You're free. I guarantee you, if I was caught after 10 years or 20 years, I'd be deported. <laughs> right. Well, the, the sad truth is that, you know, honest people that abide by the rules and laws are the ones, the, you know, the legal system is the system that is the most trashed in all of this. Yes. Uh, it's it's um, people like you who are uh, victimized by policies like what we have at the southern border right now. Come in with a family and you'll get you'll be in. Absolutely. So maybe moving this on to another thing, and maybe you you don't if you don't want to comment on this, this is absolutely fine. But how do we change the the narrative, the debate in the in the political in the political sphere? Because I look at Republicans and Democrats, and I honestly can't tell you that many politicians I listen to. And I, you know, I'm, this is my my job, kind of, so to speak. So I have to follow your politics in some sense. And um, that I actually think know what's going on. That you know, I don't ever hear many people talk about this. Is you know, this is a solution. You may not like it. You may think it's got good points or bad points. But I don't see many solutions. It's either. It's always just a focus on the border. There's never any talk about H-1B visas, you know, how, how corrupt that system is. How do, is, is it a hopeless case or how do we do it? Man, I got to say, I think it's just completely hopeless. I, I just huh. don't, I, I don't see any permanent uh, comprehensive solution of any kind because the immigration, the American immigration system is so multifaceted. It's such a multi-headed hydra. And each head of the Hydra has its pros, cons, opponents, proponents, and it's just too complicated for a, a comprehensive uh, fix. And the country is too divided politically in the way it views these uh, uh, immigration. Uh, so I just don't, I mean, I've talked to uh, people on both sides all the time. I, you know, you cannot convince a political American political liberal that, you know, borders are important to enforce as a matter of sovereignty because yeah. they view it as a matter. They look at it through a prism of racism. Yes. And like, what do you do with that? Uh, you know, how do you. you but know, even like, I'm sure you've had this conversation, like where, you know, you're talking to some of our friends on the left or, you know, liberals where. Uh, you know, it's not humane. And I'm like, I'll try and, you know, you lay out what you kind of laid out, you know, taking this journey of everything they have to overcome. And I'm like, how is that humane that you're putting their lives at risk? You're, you're literally going, picking the worst person or usually the some of the worst people in society going, hey, you're now responsible for me for the next 10 days to get me through this really dangerous piece of land. And I don't know how to get through them. Do you ever get anywhere? Or? No. 
never. I never will. I never have. And that's just the way it is. And okay. I mean, it's just, I don't, I got nothing for you on that. I mean, and Congress. I'm trying to end the show on a positive note. I know, but you know, Congress, <laughs> the split in Congress reflects what I'm talking about. It is 50, 50 in the Senate. And uh, you know, they all have a uh, very distinctive viewpoints, uh, humane, uh, an, a humane approach for liberals is letting everybody who wants in in on their terms when they want on their rules, not following your rules at all. That's fine okay. to liberals. They're perfectly happy with that. They'll say it. God, you know, I wouldn't you do it? Yeah. And no, but I, I, so I have friends on the who are totally open borders, and you know, there's strengths and pros and that. But I, I always go to people, okay, if that's what your policy is, then have a system where everyone can get in legal, even if like it's like, hey, you know, come on in, there's no restrictions, we, you know, there's no anything you get here, you're in. But that we have a system that we can at least work out where we're not cut, you know, making these greedy poor people pay. Ten twenty thousand dollars to you know a coyote to a smuggler. Can we get through that? And how we you know we might disagree on border policy, but let's get to that. Even agree on that, and it's so hard. Have you any encouragement for me? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. I'm mean, not for any foreseeable future. I mean, the country is just too split over this. You won't be able to get a, a um, collaborative enough Congress to pass. Uh, uh, legislation, not willingly anyway, that would legalize anybody and everybody who touches the border. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Republicans that don't like that idea. So, um, you know, I just, I don't see anything like that happen legislation, legislatively. And so that's why uh, Biden will come in and say, well, the law says that if uh, a judge orders you deported, that ICE has to go and deport you. But I'm going to, instead of changing the law, I'm going to have my head guy who oversees ICE tell you that you're not allowed to pick them up anymore. Right. Ignore the court order. All, so is the all court orders to remove deportation, court order deportations, you're not going to be allowed to do those. You're not allowed. And okay. that's... That's what we do. And then the next president comes in and says, hey, that was wrong that they ended all deportations in America. We're going to start doing deportations again because the law says we should do it. So as long as we're able to selectively uh, ignore congressional statutes and laws, you know, that this is where we are. Uh, you know, they're ignoring the federal law that, uh, prohibits marijuana possession and letting right. states create their own laws. And immigration is just like that. Uh, you know, we are selectively not enforcing the law on illegal entry. That's a federal misdemeanor. You can go to prison for six months on your first attempt and up to two years on your second and five years on your third and so on and so forth. We're just simply not charging them. Yeah. And also, it's, you, it can stop you ever entering the country again. Because one of the questions I know, and I know, because any time I enter the country, is you've got to answer these questions. And one of the questions is, have you ever been uh, deported or denied entry into America? And if you've been denied entry or deported, you have to say yes. And it's at the sole discretion of the the immigration officer you get. And you know, because I've, I've seen stories from Irish people with this, where they have been deported because they, you know, Irish people have overstayed their visas and done things that way, and they can never get into the country again. They, they've they been pretty much told, don't even try. Don't turn up at the airport because it's no, denied. So, um, listen, thank you so much for this discussion. Um, I wanted a happy ending, but you're not giving me one. So where can, um, but keep doing all the work you're doing. You're doing a lot of great work. Um, go to, you can find your, your on uh, Ben's Montana on Twitter. And you do a lot of great work. Your book is America's COVID Border Crisis. And what's the website you write again for CIS? It's uh, America's Covert Border War. And it's available anywhere on, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And so the just, website you do, you write columns for And I write for the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. You can find all my work there. 
or toddbensman.com. I've got all my stuff there too. Todd, thank you so much for joining me. Wow, that was uh, quite an interview, but I couldn't leave you with that ending. I couldn't leave you with that despair. I couldn't leave you with going, wow, let's just all give up. I want to talk to you for the last few minutes of today's show about why your nation is so important. We have been talking about so many issues over the last it feels like for, honestly, it's for seven years of this show. We've spoken about debts. Last week I did a, an economic special. We've spoken about great resets. We've spoken about CRT. And there's always this frustration of there's so many issues right now that people get fatigued. People get weary. People get worn out. People go, you know what? It really is hopeless. It really is a case of, wow, we're done. You're not done. Anytime in life that you're doing something new or something better or you're improving yourself, there's always that pain. You know, when you're going through lifting, you know, when you're going through training, when you're going through a new job, there's always that process or that period of time where you just want to give up. You have this as parents. You have this in your life. You have this in every aspect of your life. I'm going through it right now where I'm training really hard and I'm, I'm having the fatigue of it because I put on so much weight through because of COVID. And I'm trying to get ready for June 7th when my gym opens. And there's just always this voice in the back of your head that just goes, just give up. It's not worth it. It'd be so much easier if you didn't have to lift all this weight. And you get it. <clears throat> you have it. And it's so easy to listen to that voice going, just give up. Let's just, uh, let's just, you know, have an easy life. And yeah, it might suck, but, you know, it's so much easier to have this life than trying to make a better life. You know, because there's not as much pain involved. There's not as much suffering involved. And it's so easy to give up. But I want you not to be despaired with that interview that I just said, where there is, where the top said there's no hope for the future. That you're just going to have constant politics, and you're going to have constant disagreement, and nothing is ever really going to change. What I want you to take from that interview is, we're in a really bad place right now. And on this issue, I can't even say we because I'm not an American. You are in a really bad place right now. But it didn't become bad overnight. It took steps to get to this stage. And it will take steps to get out of this stage. But in life, there's only one guaranteed outcome, no matter what you're doing, whether you're talking about this border war crisis, whether you're talking about the economy, whether you're talking about Joe Biden, whether you're talking about your job, whether you're talking about your personal life, there's only one guaranteed outcome you can have. And you can have it in the next second. Give up, sit down on your ass and do nothing. Believe me, it's the easiest step. You'll think like you've won. You'll feel a great relief. But that will always be there. But what you have when you actually act is you have the satisfaction of, you know, I lifted five more kilos this week and I lifted five more kilos this week. And wow, all of a sudden, all those weeks add up and I'm lifting 100 kilos, 200 kilos, 300 kilos. Actually, I'm realizing a lot of people are probably listening right now going, John, we're American, haha. We are not the, the French, this kilo system. We're American, we're, we're on pounds. So 100 pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, 400 pounds, 500 pounds. You get to it. It's all about hard work. We can give up and do nothing. That's the only guaranteed outcome. Or we can understand that we have a lot of issues to face. And how do we face them? How do we solve them? I believe. We need to stop looking to D.C. as the solution. I've said this for as long as I've been on the air. And as long as I have a platform on the blaze, and as long as I can do speaking tours, and as long as I can write when I get the time, I will say the same message. We need to stop looking to D.C. 
on this issue and so many other issues, we need to see, let the states know, hey, stand up, and which Texas is doing. But it can do more. Arizona can stand up. We need to start looking at local levels. But also, we need to start encouraging people. We need to start having these discussions. I don't know what the magic argument is. I wish I did, because if I did, I'd sell it for free to everyone. But I know liberals. I talk to liberals. They're not bad people. They may be fundamentally flawed in their thinking. They may be wrong. They may be ignorant on some issues. But they're not bad people. On this issue, I don't know if we can't get to a point where we craft a message that is based on facts that we share with our liberal friends going, hey, this is inhumane that you don't want to put people in that position, that we can start changing hearts and minds. But if you look around when you have politics, and this is why I avoid the political questions, oh, do you like Trump? Do you hate Trump? Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? Because it's all based on sides. Do you like Ted Cruz? Do you like Mike Lee? Who, you know, all these different questions. It all boils down to them. We need to stop talking about people. We need to start talking about principles. We need to stop, hey, you know, do we like Prince Harry or not? I don't give a crap what Prince Harry has to say about the First Amendment. The next time I care about what Prince Harry has to say will be the first time. But all the debate this week has been about Prince Harry. Let's talk, stop talking about people. Let's talk about actual substance of issues. Because if we do, we actually might just win. But also, if that interview left you a bit upset, a bit dismayed, because at the end there was no happy ending. And I get, I appreciate Todd's honesty. It's, it's very easy to want to paint a happy narrative to people. Oh, look, you know, there's all these problems, but hey, come by out, everything's going to be great. I appreciate it. But I'll leave you with this. I would ask you to look at your country and understand and actually just love it a bit more. And try and learn why people are risk, willing to risk their lives to come to your country. You know, in a world where I hear constant media from my friends on the left, oh, America is horrible, America is racist, America is, oh, this unjust, like America is this pile of dog shit. Excuse my French. That's literally all they say. And you have these people who are literally willing to pay $20,000, $30,000 to get to your country. They're literally willing to back backpack across desert-type conditions for 10 days. Do you really think that your country is that bad? Even right now, with all the flaws you have, is it really that bad that people are willing to die and do that journey and pay that price to get to it? but also on a further step to motivate you. If we want to solve our world's problems right now, and we want to solve America's problems, I beg you to listen to these words very carefully. It's time to stop with the politics, and it's time to remember why your country is an exceptional nation. Because you want to solve this? You want to solve this border crisis? You know one of the things you can do? America can go back to being the beacon of light for the rest of the world, where you have a positive and empowering message, where you are based around the principles of freedom, where you're based around the principles of nature's law and nature's God, where you're aspiring for that dream, where all men, all men, regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of your creed, regardless of your class or your education, that you're all created equal and endowed with certain unalienable rights, and among those, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That if you actually build that message again, and say, this is who we are, this is our mission statement. This is who we are, and we are proud of us. This is not a Republican message. This is not a Democratic message, or a left or right message. This is an American message but also that you share it with the rest of the world and say, this is who we are, but you can be that way too. Because what we have, while it is exceptional, while it is unique, 
It is not very complicated. It all boils down to certain principles. And those principles are effectively leave people alone and don't take their stuff. This can be exported. This can be exported to Hawaii, or not to Hawaii, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Mexico. Maybe it can be exported to Hawaii because it's not exactly a freedom central, but it can be exported. It can be exported to Ireland, to Europe, to the Middle East, to Pakistan, to any country can be just like America. You can be free. You just need to rise up and stop your government compelling you to act a certain way and dictating to you what you can and can't do. That if we empower people to say, no, you are a sovereign individual. That government is not your God, is not your king, and is you are not its servant or its serf. And that you actually share these values and you start exporting what I call the idea of America. Then, all of a sudden, if we start changing some of these countries, guess what happens? They start getting better. Because it's easy to look at illegal immigration and kind of go, oh, they're all bad people. Look, I have every reason to hate illegal immigrants. You know my story. I feel sorry for them. And I feel sorry for the parents who have these kids. Imagine how shit and horrible and despicable your life must be to willing to do that. Like, people have bad lives. People go through bad times. But you automatically, yeah, you might moan and bitch about it and you might complain, and rightfully so. But to actually just go, you know what? I need to borrow 10 grand or $20,000 from, from ever who I can get it from, even if it's to a coyote, and put my hands my life in the hands of a really bad person to get past this desert or to get past this checkpoint and I'm willing to do it what is there they leaving can you imagine if their life wasn't that bad because the empowering message it isn't Republican, it isn't Democrat it isn't liberal, it isn't conservative it isn't left, it isn't right the empowering message is people are incredible. They have incredible potential in them, regardless of where they come from. We just need to unleash it. We need to encourage people to be free, to pursue their happiness, and not be have their rights trampled by a government, by a king, by a prime minister, by a theocrat, by an autocrat, by whatever crap. We need to say no. We need to start sharing this message. We need to start sharing it in America, we need to start sharing with our friends. We need to share it with Republicans or Democrats, with everyone, and start making inroads and basing it around principles and then getting America back to being that beacon of light for the world and then getting America to start sharing those values around the world where America says, hey, we did it, you can too. How about that if we start making that our goal? How about if we start making that our mission? How about if we start making that our mandate? Because I don't know about you. The future is worth fighting for. We can turn this around. We didn't get to this despotic, totalitarian government which we are living in right now by accident. It didn't happen overnight. It took a long time. It took Woodrow Wilson. It took the teddy bear. It took FDR. It took LBJ. It took Jimmy Carter. It, yes, it took Republicans too, with Nixon and all those other people. It also took Barack Obama. It took a long time. But we can get it back. This doesn't have to be the end. This, what we have right now, is not the final chapter. It isn't bookending, you know, the credits roll and we all get to go home. No, this is not the end. This is the end of a chapter. The next chapter is still to be written. And when your kids and your grandkids look back and they are writing history about 2021, 2022, 2023, what are they going to write about you? Are they going to write that my parents or my grandparents or my great-grandparents said, you know what? This was the obstacle America couldn't conquer and gave up. Or are they going to write the greatest comeback story of all time? 
where America went right to the bottom, to the depths of despair, to anguish, to pain, to suffering. And then woke up and understood why they're an exceptional nation. And 400 years later, after the pilgrims arrived and stepped foot on this land, they started a reclamation project of their republic. They started to restore their constitutional values. They started the groundwork that led to a revival in people's hearts, to understanding why America is an exceptional nation. The choice is yours. And it's not a choice that you make by thinking. It's a choice, not a choice you make by talking. It's a choice you make by doing. What do you want the history books to say about you? Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. And I salute you, the great American people, because in the sentiments of Tocqueville, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday, have a beautiful and best week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.